developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. everyone, this is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting us with us is my friend, Richard Fabian. Richard is truly an amazing person, as you'll quickly see his power, passion, creativity, and influencing abilities. Today, we're going to talk about strategies for living life despite some challenges. Richard has been losing his vision, in other words, the ability to see with his eyes since he was told at age 21 that he had retinitis pigmentosa and that he would be blind in five years. So that's the sentence he got at age 21. I'm going to let Richard share his life story uh, and you'll see his progression from being told about going blind at age 21 to where he's at now. Richard, welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Thank you, Lynn. Good to be here. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. So why don't you uh, tell us, let's go back to when you were younger and tell us some of your early symptoms and, uh, you know, what was going on in your life and what you found out. Yeah, the, yeah it was a, a big realization for me when I found out at age 21 that, uh, that I had retinitis pigmentosa. My eye doctor had told me, uh, because we had shared in a previous visit that, you know, I'm probably going to get a letter to go to Vietnam because I had a low draft number. Back in those days, people who know about low draft numbers, they know what I'm talking about. And so he said, don't worry about it. I'll write you a letter. When you get your letter, just come see me. So I did. And he wrote a letter which, which shared to the draft board and to anybody, including me, that I had retinitis pigmentosa. Can you stop there for a second and, and explain what that sure. is uh, just general? Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, retinitis pigmentosa is an inherited retinal disease that impacts your retina. And the way it shows up, the first symptoms are typically night blindness, where you start losing your ability to see well at night because your loss of rods in your periphery of your, of your retina. And then your cones, which are mostly in the central part or macula of your retina, start to deteriorate over time. And retinitis pigmentosa is typically a disease that, you know, usually shows up in the teen years and then progresses throughout life, some at a faster pace than others. Mine, uh, like you said, uh, they told me I would be blind in five years. And the reason they said that was because my uncle was totally blind from RP. RP is the short form of retinitis pigmentosa. Right. And, and uh, so uh, 
I never knew. We never talked about it when I was growing up with my uncle. He was just blind and he had a guide dog and he was living life. You know? So I didn't think anything about what he had. That wasn't a conversation back then. Of course, many people didn't know much about it at that time as well, which probably added to that conversation not being performed. So anyway, that's I saw what he did in his life. And so uh, when I found out that I was going to be going blind, uh, you know, in five years, you know, I went to see another doctor and he confirmed the diagnosis that, yes, it was retinitis pigmentosa. And that's probably your uh, prognosis because your uncle went blind at the age of 25. And so, okay, totally blind. I'm talking about he lost everything. And, and what were your uh, symptoms at that age? I mean, did you have symptoms then? Well, <clears throat> I did have night blindness. And, of course, I did have narrowing field of vision. That's the other part of it. When you're losing your, your rods, you lose your peripheral vision. And so you start having what's called tunnel vision. And so that's what was happening to me. But I didn't think about it until I was told. And then I related back to times when one time when I was on a scavenger hunt uh, when I was like 14, I remember trying to jump over a ditch after a big rain uh, as we were running through the neighborhood. And I thought it was about four feet wide. Well, it's about eight feet wide. And so I landed right in the middle of it. Uh, but because I didn't, I couldn't see the other side. Of course, I didn't realize at the time. Of course, when I was told, then it made total sense why I didn't see perfectly what that, how wide that ditch was that I was trying to leap over. Uh, and then uh, another time I ran into a telephone pole when I was like six years old walking to the store. Uh, walking from the sidewalk to the street, I hit a telephone pole. Well, I didn't think anything about it. I just, well, I just, I didn't see it. <laughs> so, um, and then when I played sports, I was a, I was a, you know, I was a great shortstop uh, in baseball. But sometimes you, you bobble it, and I had sometimes it took me, you know, it was probably a half a second or a second to find the ball, and I could still throw them out because I had a pretty good arm. But that's that's. It made sense to me. Now, why did I not be able to see that ball right away? And so then the tunnel vision was coming into play. I played basketball. I was on the basketball team in high school as well. And they would throw me bounce passes and it hit me right in the gut because right. I, you know, I didn't see the bounce pass coming. <laughs> uh, I saw some motion and all of a sudden it was in my belly. And so anyway, uh, those were the symptoms of tunnel vision. And then that's progressed over time. Uh, to where I remember playing golf, where I used to hit the ball, maybe 225, 250 yards, something like that in my, you know, late 20s, early 30s. But I remember playing with my brother and watching the ball go down the fairway and just disappear in the distance. I mean, I saw it going probably about 150 yards, and then it just kind of faded away. I said, I said, well, where did he go? <laughs> where did my ball go? And so that's when I first noticed it. And then I noticed it playing tennis a few years later. Uh, I love playing tennis, uh, but when I got back to play with one of my friends, I hadn't played in a few months, I hit the ball to him and he hit it back. And I said, I didn't see it. Uh, let's try that again. I hit it back at him again. He hit it back. I said, I didn't see where you hit it. So I had to give up tennis right then. So uh, that so, was very frustrating. Yeah, I bet. And this is a very um, different kind of eye disease. You know, most people think about vision problems. They can't see print or or small print or um, details. And this is not how this disease starts. It starts in the periphery. So it sneaks up on people with what looks right. to be 
clumsy or you're not paying attention and what's really happened is you're not getting Dipping information. Over stuff. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't get your peripheral information. That's what really hides you from movement. And so it can really mm-hmm. slowly creep up on people, even though you could still be 2020 initially, um, and you don't realize the seriousness of it until you know you had that evaluation. So continue exactly. onward. You know, here, here you're finding. Sounds like you were really a great athlete, but you, vision is a one of the number one skills needed for so many athletic uh, endeavors. <laughs> that yeah, kind of changed sure, your sure. path. Yeah. Right. It did. It did. And I, I discovered uh, now that you, you made me think of it. I discovered beat baseball. Speaking of uh, learning to play without your vision, uh, beat baseball is where uh, a pitcher. You have a your. I wore a blindfold because I still had some vision. So there were people that were totally blind that played in the field. And what happens is a pitcher throws the ball, and he's on your team. He's trying to throw it through this through the path where he thinks your bat will come through. And so uh, I was pretty good at that too. I would you know I'd whack the heck out of the ball once I hit it. You know, uh, of course the pitcher was good. <laughs> he had to make sure he was in that plane. And so. Uh, but when I was playing in the field, the ball beeps. You go beep, 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 beep. And so it's rolling on the ground or through the air, whatever. And you're going running over to try and get in front of it and pick it up and put hold it in the air before the person who hit the ball is blind is running to either first base or third base because they turn on a buzzer on the bag and it's about 60 feet down. And so you got to run down and run over that bag. That's typically what a blind guy does. He runs over it. You don't just touch it. You, know, you, you don't know it. where it ends, and right? So, right, right. It's a big bag, like a punching bag. You know, it stands about five feet tall with a buzzer on top. And so, uh-huh. so anyway, it's that timing, you know, to do that. And, uh, you, you know, it was fun. So, but anyway, to, to digress, uh, at age 34, 35 is when I finally had to give up driving. That's when my vision was less than 10 degrees um i think normal vision is something like uh, you probably know this better than i do 60 to 80 degrees is normal visual field straight ahead where you can see good and then you have probably 160 180 peripheral vision correct uh pretty close yeah it's yeah we can we can go with that these are numbers that i know well so but anyway something like that and so i was less than 10 of course they call legal blindness less than 20 degrees of vision is, is considered legal blindness by the federal government right? or, um, you know, uh, less acuity of less than 2,200. Well, I still had good acuity at that point, but I didn't have the uh, peripheral vision. And so, you know, I probably kept driving longer than probably I should have, because as you know, Lynn, giving up your independence is probably one of the biggest issues that people deal with, with vision loss. That and is so, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, and if I could just add to that, so people could understand a little bit what you're going through here, you could see a 2020 eye chart, but if they hold, you know, if they create like little, if they take their hands and create like little tubes with each hand, like you're looking through a smaller than a toilet paper tube, they can actually uh, hold their fists up and look through like little uh, Mm -hmm. binoculars that they create in their own hands. They can then, and then try to walk around so that they can't see anything outside the binoculars. You can see detail, but again, you have no idea what's around you, what's coming towards you. Uh, and and it's so interesting because there's many states that don't have a field of vision criteria for their driver's license. 
Um, some yeah, states yeah. do, some don't. So technically, some people could still leave, you know, drive uh, until their doctor finally, you know, writes a note and says, nope, you shouldn't be driving. So it's an, again, it's it's one of those diseases that people just don't understand the impact because you see okay, but there's so many other skills you need for functioning in this world. Definitely correct. Yeah. So, um, so giving up driving was, uh, you know, a really traumatic uh, time in my life. You know, I mean, I, w- I just moved back to Houston to buy my uncle's business. And uh, so I was trying to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I was out driving around making sales calls, still uh, driving. And then, then the insurance guy for the company found out that I had the same disease as my uncle. And he says, you can't drive. <laughs> you need to give me have your keys right now. <laughs> and so anyway, so that's that's when it happened. Uh, so uh, I had to hire a driver. And so that's how I continued uh, making sales and did really well. I mean, in a business that, of course, I'd never done before, but, you know, I was I'm pretty good at sales and talking to people. And so I was able to really uh, you know, grow my portfolio really very quickly. Uh, of course, my intention was to buy my uncle's company, which I did a couple of years later. And so anyway, that's uh, kind of where that transition took place. And then um, just trying to fast forward through my life uh, with as far as vision loss. And in my early 40s is when I finally decided to start using a white cane, uh, which is something that uh, I've talked to so many people that are going blind that don't want to use a white cane because of the stigma around right. a white cane that they have and they're it's all mental you know it's, it's a mental situation the real the, when i finally learned to use a white cane you know with lighthouse from the lighthouse of houston it took about four hours for me to be trained some people do it in six months i did it in four hours and i learned how to use that white cane and navigate a mall and stairs and elevators and escalators you name it and i felt like i actually felt like moses because as i walked <laughs> through the mall i saw the people part as I walked through, you know, I felt, <laughs> I felt so powerful at that point. Love that analogy. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, the white came really was important because what it did, it not only told others that I had something going on, probably with vision, as most people know, white cane usually means something around vision loss, blindness. Uh, but now when I ran into people, they said, excuse me to me. Because oh, yeah. they turned around and saw the cane and said, oh, excuse me. I said, wait a minute. I ran into you. No, excuse me for running into you, but thank you. And so anyway, it, it rather than thinking you're drunk or whatever is going on, you know, what, with your life, uh, because you don't use a white cane, because that's what I would do. I'd run into people all the time. Rest, you know, restaurants, it's dark. When, when you have RP, your eyes, your eyes doesn't open fast enough. And so it's very, very slow transition to, to be able to see in the dark, like in a theater. And so I'm t- just totally blind in a theater, you know, when I walk in or any kind of restaurant typically are much darker than, uh, well, they, they don't probably not dark to somebody with good vision, but for us with, with the RP, it looks very dark until several minutes later. So anyway, uh, then in my late fifties, I started using a guide dog uh, and I'm on my third guide dog now. His name is Lute. He's seven years old, a black lab from Guide Dogs for the Blind in uh, San Rafael, California. So that's wow. how I'm living my life today. So, so, so let me ask you, my yeah, let me ask you, how much vision did you have then? You have your dog. And are you, 
able to see anything or what's the status of your vision then? Uh, when I first got a guide dog, I was 58 and uh, I could still see straight ahead. You know, it was correctable. I was wearing, uh, you know, glasses at that point. Uh, I had worn contacts earlier in my life, but I was wearing glasses and I was correctable, I think, to about 2060 back at that time, maybe 2080. Uh, and then it slowly progressed every, you know, a few years, I'd get it in maybe 2100 and then 2150, 2200. Uh, so it slowly was getting worse and worse because I'm losing more and more cone cells in this, in the macula, which was providing the acuity. And, uh, so anyway, uh, now I have none. No, in 2019, I was involved in a stem cell clinical trial, uh, that the foundation fighting blindness was, you know, part that's who I work for. Uh, they they had funded partially this trial, and so I decided to try it because I was I was at 2400 at that point, which is the big E on the eye chart for most everybody to understand what that is. And I I was I said, oh, this is my last chance to re restore some vision. And so I took part in this trial. Unfortunately, when I got the stem cells, which was an in injection into the vitreous of the eye, the central part of the eye. Uh, about 6 million stem cells is what I got in that shot. And it created macular edema. And unfortunately, that's what I'm still dealing with. I'm seeing in retinoscesis now to try and reverse the macular edema, but you know, not without any success so far. But in any case, uh, the macular edema took out the rest of vision I had in the central part of my eye, uh, which wasn't, wasn't great, but it was something, you know, I could see something moving and see a little bit of it, but not much. And so now I, I just listen to everything. I listen to my iPhone and that's how I do my work daily. I still work. I'm 74 years old and still working full time as a uh, senior gift officer for the foundation fighting blindness. And I listen to my computer. It has a software called JAWS, which is a text-to-speech program, and so I just listen to emails, documents, whatever, you know, on my computer and work. Uh, I think I work as fast or faster than most people out there, so <laughs> I think I, I'm still doing pretty good. Which is just great, and certainly your attitude is a part of that, and we want to talk more about that as well. So, um, so Richard, through all of this and this gradual loss, you certainly sound like you had not only, quote, a normal, but an extraordinary life. Your job's great and uh, your work's great. And I know you have a great wife and a uh, lovely place where you live. Um, but there was times, I'm sure, along the way that there were barriers emotionally. I mean, you mentioned about just the white cane. The stigma of the white cane keeps people from trying to help themselves. You know, I, I'm sure there's been a lot of major life-changing questions you've had to address, some of which like, you know, who defines what a challenge is? Is it a challenge or is it a limitation? I mean, when people are given that terrible sentence of you're going to be going blind, how did you choose that this was a challenge versus just a limitation? <laughs> yeah, well, it, initially, yeah, it, it wasn't a smooth transition to that. Uh, so that's one of my, uh, I'm, I'm on my third and final marriage with Claudia, as you were sharing earlier. Yeah. Or, you know, lovely, great wife. She's been very supportive and been very beneficial in my life, uh, when I met her in, in 1998, but the, um, back in, let's see, when was it, it would have been, uh, 1984 or so when I had that, you know, you have to stop driving 
that was a huge deal. I mean, you know, a lot of people call, uh, you know, some kind of issue that you're dealing with a disability. I hate that term uh, because it's not true. You're, you're not disabled. You have a challenge. You have a limitation. You have, in other words, I feel anything is possible. I can do anything anybody else can do. I'm just going to do it differently. And so I just have to come up with a different way to adapt or adjust or come up with a different, uh, you know, possibility of how things might get done. And so uh, I kind of learned that becoming a challenge versus a disability, you know, I've kind of felt probably that in early in my life. But later on, I just realized, you know, it's just a challenge. Um, you know, I can I can still do it because I, I showed that I could. Uh, I, I did it. And uh, so but it was really I was very angry at that time when I first and so, you know, I had a you know, there's nothing wrong with my first wife. It was me. I was a pain in the butt, you know, because I just was not happy with what had happened to me. You know, I couldn't play softball anymore. I couldn't play tennis. I could it was difficult to play golf. I had to have somebody go with me so they could watch the ball. I still hit it out of sight. And, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> good, you it got just... the joke. And so anyway. <laughs> uh, I got uh, the joke beyond sight. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it was, uh, so, you know, I just found it when it, you know, that was tough when I would have to have somebody drive me to a, an appointment. I was felt embarrassed if somebody would see me. I mean, I was dealing with this mental, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm dealing with myself and, you know, your self-esteem and uh, your pride and all of this. And you got somebody drop you off and you walk in with a, with a case. I didn't have a white cane then. No, I was walking in with a briefcase and it was kind of a bigger size briefcase. Uh, and so I used that as my blocker on my left side. And so it would catch all of the tables and chairs first. Okay. Richard, uh, I'm going to need to stop you for just a second. We're going to take a break. Okay. And then uh, we're going to get back to this about, how you've dealt with this, these obstacles of uh, making a challenge. Discover the power of the seeing brain the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. 
Can your child organize, really organize? Parents and teachers will have practical step-by-step strategies and templates to help get their children organized with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's Organize It workbook. Increased organizational skills create success and confidence in school, sports, and life. Get Organize It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. We've been having a fascinating conversation with Richard Fabian. Uh, Richard has been explaining, being very open and vulnerable about his loss of vision due to retinitis pigmentosa. And the illness, the disease in itself is devastating. But what's so wonderful is hearing how Richard has turned that around and and he had to de- decide every step of a, the way in his life whether this was a challenge or a limitation and and uh, there's a great quote he uh, sent me from Michael Jordan it says obstacles don't have to stop you if you run into a wall don't turn around and give up figure out how to climb it and go through it or work around it and that's exactly what Richard's been doing his entire life so the big question, as you've been going through, you know, this gradual decline of vision, which is taking away your independence and, and certainly affecting your entire life, but especially a lot of your fun and sports. The big question is, who will you be in the face of these challenge? Who will you be? In other words, who do you create yourself to be? You could be the victim or you've done quite the opposite, and you talk about having faith. Explain to us about this acronym of a beautiful word, word called faith. Of course, yeah, no, I uh, I coined that uh, one time as I was thinking about this a few years ago. I made a presentation to a Rotary Club I used to belong to in the Houston area, and so I came up with this uh, the acronym faith, F being faith is the foundation of our life. At least that's my belief is that uh, having a belief in God that, uh, you know, he can guide and direct my life. And uh, Proverbs 3, 4, and 5 uh, says it well, uh, lean not on your own understanding in every way. Uh, let God direct your path. And so I really believe that and uh, trust in God uh, to lead my life. Uh, am I perfect in that? Uh, not always, but, uh, you know, he's always there when, when, when I need him. So, and then the A part of faith, uh, is acceptance, you know, being present to the situation you're dealing with, being present to your circumstances, understanding this is what's so, and now, now what, you know, what happens next? You know, this, okay, great. I'm losing my vision. Uh, you know, this is what's going on in my life. How do I handle that? How do I move forward? Because, you know, I can let it defeat me or I can accept it and move forward, kind of like Michael Jordan did in his quote. Right. And, and I is integrity, uh, maintaining your principles, doing what you said you would do when you said you would do it. I mean, that's important. That's the way I live my life and the way I do my work. If I say I'm going to do it, you can count on it. Keeping an empowering context for yourself. 
always maintaining a conversation for possibility. In other words, there you may have this thing going on in your life or whatever, this challenge or obstacle. So once you identify that, so now you find out what's the, what's the next best way to get, you know, move forward. And then the T in faith is tenacity. Uh, leaving, I, I've lived in the possibility, and I, I created this in the Landmarks Forum. Uh, I don't know if many people might know about Landmark Education worldwide. And they have a course called the Landmarks Forum, which is kind of the, the initial course that you take three days and night, uh, three days and Tuesday evening. And it really changed my life because in 2003, I was dealing with leaving my my work that I had, I mean, a business that I owned. And then I said, what am I going to do? I, I don't, you know, I don't, I can't see am I, how am I going to make an interview? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And I created through the landmark forum, I got to see the stories that I was living into and how that was really ruling my life. And so when I created being unstoppable, being positive, trustworthy, and being responsible, I mean, I just, it, you know, it changed my life. And so right after the Landmark Forum, I went out and got a job. I didn't have a job before. That. So I went to an interview and I remember, you know, how am I going to deal with this interview? Because I can't really see the guy that well. I could see some, but not great. And I had a white cane, but I didn't show it. I didn't show that I had a white cane. I figured that's not going to work going into a job interview. And, uh, and so he said, here, just follow me into this room. And I did. <clears throat> and I ran into him because <laughs> he stopped. <laughs> I said, oh, excuse me. Sorry, I don't see too great. He said, no problem. No problem. Just have a seat right there. But anyway, I got to share with him during the interview that I have, you know, I have red eyes and I'm losing my vision. And so I use, I used at the time a closed circuit television to magnify the print. And I said, that's how I do my work. And in, in the computer, you know, I can uh, magnify it. And uh, the, so at the time I could still read it. By magnification or through a CCTV, and so I got the job. You know, he could tell that I had a really good positive attitude and was really a hard worker. So anyway, I got a job. So that totally changed my perspective on on this conversation I had about that I'm blind and nobody wants me to work for them. That's for sure. And yeah. then, and so H was being hopeful and innovative. You know, you know, looking, working, thinking outside the box. You know, coming up with a way to make something happen. Uh, with despite the situation I was dealing with. So that's kind of pretty much how I did it. And so for you, creating faith really is creating your life and all the possibilities come out of uh, your faith, your faith in yourself and your connection to God and beyond. Uh, is yes. that a good, good way to uh, look at it? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and and then something else. Uh, Eric Weinmeyer, who's the blind guy that climbed Mount Everest, came up with what's you know it says what's your Everest? You know that's how he coined that phrase. Uh, what's in you is bigger than what you're dealing with, you know, than what your challenges are. Yeah, that's a great with, quote. You know? That that's really a great yeah. quote. So the question for you now, Richard, is what is your next Everest? Well, it's looking at the strategies that I've employed, like this, these ones I just shared, you know, for living my life uh, since I went blind, and also just strategies for, you know, my life in with my relationship with my wife and with others, you know, being more present, 
uh, being more empathetic, being more responsible for my behavior, and uh, really understanding what's what has been driving the different conversations I have in my life. And so I'm taking another course in landmark called Transforming Yesterday Strategies, which is uh, one, and, and I'm also taking the wisdom course as well, uh, that really takes a look at your life and really gives you a chance to see what's going on in your life and how you interact with others and how you're present to the circumstances you're dealing with and uh, with the conversations and how they, how you, it's so easy to make up a story about what that means versus what's so. And so it's, it's been interesting to just have that conversation and look at those things in my life that I'm dealing with. You know, what's so interesting as I listen to you, Richard, is your language is full of visual terms. You are such a, a visual person <laughs> and we talk right. about vision inside and out and you have uh, unfortunately lost your outer vision but your inner vision seems to be very clear and, and expanding would you would you agree yeah, with that absolutely. Or not? yeah i i do i do and so uh, that's what i do in my job uh, working with donors across the country uh, for the foundation fighting blindness uh, they're dealing with vision challenges in their life. They have all, there's so many different types of retinal diseases, macular degeneration, Stargardt, uh, Usher syndrome, which is both hearing and vision loss. I'm, I'm talking with them, their family, uh, their, their siblings. And what I'm, I'm listening to the issues that they're dealing with. And then what I do is give them hope and give them different types of tools and techniques that could help support them. Adaptive technology, there's different types of apps that are available on the phone today that support you and they talk to you like talking GPS. Uh, and there's a program from Microsoft called Scene AI, Artificial Intelligence. This was several years ago, long before the generative AI that's going on right now. But uh, the Scene AI is something where you can just point your phone at a document, it'll read it to you. And wow. read money. It'll give you colors of what you're wearing. I mean, it's it's got all of that. And it's all free, and so it's uh, it's a powerful tool. So, do you are you the person who actually teaches others uh, about all this technology, or is it your foundation and you have trainers for all of this? The foundation does not. No, and I I don't. I do in a small way. Uh, I can I can take them through certain pieces of technology and whatever and how to use it. Uh, but I always recommend the particular, like an Apple, I, I, you know, Apple store or whatever, uh, you know, for an iPhone. And then there's orientation mobility uh, teams that are good with working with white canes. And then there's the Insight Skill Center, like here in Colorado, that have people that know how to go into your home and, you know, set up your home for with bump dots or with lighting or with all sorts of things that can support you in getting your home arranged for you to live a you know, be able to navigate in it much more effectively. So um, I have, and that's all right. I know these places all over the country. And so I'm able to share that with people so that they can uh, contact them and get support that they need in their area. And you are an invaluable resource. I mean, first of all, just, we're talking about a few years ago, a lot of this wasn't even available. And what technology has done has truly opened up the world of vision for those who have lost their sight. Uh, but I will tell you, and you probably know firsthand, most of the time you're not going to get this information from your doctors who have made the diagnosis and tried all the treatments. They're not the ones that really have access to helping you live your life beyond the disease. Is that correct? 
That's correct. Yeah, the uh, most of the retina specialists, uh, the, you know, their their ideas, they're 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 making uh, you know they're making money and doing giving you this type of support is a big investment in time for them, and time is money for our retina specialists. And I told, and I know you know that as well as an optometrist, uh, and I'm probably a low vision optometrist, Lynn. So it's you know it's a skill that is not every retina specialist does not have but what we try and provide to the to the retina specialists around the country is the information that's available to them they can go to our website uh there's different places that you can find this kind of information on our website that can support people we provide public health and education and awareness of these uh, different diseases and the different trials and things that are going on to support them but uh, we just do the research is our main focus and public health education and awareness. Great. I want to make sure you mention the website, and we'll put it on the show notes too, but you want to mention that website? The Foundation Fighting Blindness is www.fightingblindness.org, fightingblindness.org. Great. And if people had specific questions for you, Richard, how would be the best way to reach you? Best way is just to call me. That's fine. Just give me a call. 720-207-8362. That's my cell phone. And uh, if I can support or help you, I'll do my best that I can. That's very generous. Uh, Thank you on that. Uh, What are the things that just keeps coming up as you've been speaking about um, your adaptations, your tools, your dog, all of these things? The word trust keeps coming up in my mind. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, that's an issue for all of us. But when your primary, for most people, the primary source of navigation and learning is through visual system. And when that's been yanked away from you, um, a lot of trust has to go into relying on other people, other senses, other dogs, et cetera. Do you have any comments about, you know, how that's impacted you and what might be helpful for others to look at that? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel, Lynn, that um, when I got my first guide dog, this is when I really had to, I learned a lot about myself and about trust, uh, especially in others, to direct my, direct my path uh, besides God. And so here I was, uh, we were, you know, I was using, you know, I had some vision when I first started with the guide dog. And so, you know, you have a tendency to want to help correct the dog if he's making a mistake if he's running into something he's going to run into something or whatever the key is is that you need to allow the dog to make the mistake because that's how they learn and once they make a mistake you rework it's called reworking that particular situation so that he now knows i'm supposed to stop here and not let you run into that tree limb uh that's hanging down in your path because he didn't he didn't know it was in my path and so anyway that's reworking but the other big thing is when they said you need to wear you need to wear a blindfold. That way you can totally trust your dog. And I said, do what? <laughs> and so I just closed my eyes and no, 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 you won't you'll cheat. And so they put a blindfold on me and then I had to work that dog with a blindfold. And that was one of the scariest thing at the beginning because now I am totally trusting that every move he's making is the right move. Uh, stopping at the right corner, you know, crossing traffic. He's supposed to watch for those cars and stuff like that. Of course, I'm, I'm using my hearing as well. But the uh, that was really a huge change for me to really 
in fact, after we started doing that for about 30 minutes, I, we were walking faster than we ever have. And I was smiling and singing, you know, because I was just totally free to enjoy the ride and let him do the work. And that's, that's what you're supposed to do. And so uh, that was really a pivotal moment in my life. And so I saw, saw that in, you know, trusting others to support me and uh, asking for help. That's a big thing. People don't want to ask for help, you know, and, right. you know they don't want to have to bother somebody else. But that's important. You need to ask people for help. They're happy to help you. Just ask. So. Yeah, that's so true. And, you know, I made the big mistake even being in the field. I, I was at the Denver Center for Performing Arts in uh, Denver, and I saw this. It was a young man using a white cane, and he was walking fast. He was heading right towards <laughs> the stairs. And I I was afraid he was going to fall, you know, fall down the stairs. And I stopped to see if I could help him, and that was not the right thing to do at the time. <laughs> so I, I didn't realize, and what do you do, count, or how, how did he know exactly – because I'm pretty sure he had no vision, the way his head and his eyes looked. Um, and so, you know, does he count the steps? Does he trust that, you know, the moment that white cane would hit the step differently? Because he was moving at a fast speed. How did that work? Because yeah, I well, know what I did was yeah, incorrect. He, right, right. Yeah, and he probably wasn't appreciative of it either. <laughs> so, no, he wasn't. Um, <laughs> right, I can understand that. Yeah, because uh, what he was doing, he was he's, he's sweeping the floor looking for those stairs because he knows there's some stairs because he's either probably been there before and he knows uh, that there's going to be some stairs. And so what he does, your cane is about six feet in front of you. And so it finds the stair either going up or down. And so he can tell that when he reaches it. And then he might use the handrail, he may not. Uh, but what you do is you hold your cane up and you count the steps as you go down. It's right in front of you, so you're you're click click click. I'm I'm putting it down until I feel that I'm at the bottom. You know, there's no more steps, and then you know you're there. And then you say, okay, is this a right or left turn? If it's one of those stairwells that you go back and forth, and so you just kind of feel your way, and then you go to the next one. You know, and you go go go, bung 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 bung. And when you go up, you're counting them up. I'm clicking it. I'm holding it against. You know, it's it's upright, and it's clicking the stair as it hits it. I hear a click, click, click. I'm clicking the stair above me one step up. And I just do that all the way up. And then finally it's smoothed out, you know, where there's no more stairs. So that's when you know you've reached the top. So that's how well, you do it with a white cane. Trust has to be on both sides. They trust their instincts and other people need to trust them as well. Uh, so not, I see that. Uh, you know, we only have a minute or two left. And you sent me this um, beautiful poem, Richard. Um Love After Love by Derek Walcott. Is that something mm -hmm. um, that you can recite or would you like me to read it? What works best? I, yeah, no, you read it. No, I don't have it memorized. But uh, okay. this was uh, Sandy Morris uh, did this at a vacation course for Landmark and it really spoke to me. So yeah, please read it. Okay. The time will come when with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart, 
Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your own life. And we only have 30 seconds left, Richard, but I know that touched you. And, and it really I wanna... touched me a lot. Yeah, um, and, and I want to thank you. I used, yeah, I used to see myself in the mirror. And so now I don't anymore. But this really had me reflect on that and how I needed to love myself. I had really given up on that. I never thought about it. And this really brought it to me. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Len. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.